The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said to the twelve apostles, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing is secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed over the last few Sundays that the gospel lessons have begun to change a bit in their tenor and in their tone and uh, the folks to whom they're addressed. At the end of May, we had a gospel where uh, Jesus was talking broadly to the crowds that followed him and kind of indiscriminately uh, saving people and healing them and raising them from the dead. His ministry was, was very wide and broad, and seemingly to all comers. But in June, it seems to me that there's been a change, and his sayings and teachings seem to get kind of less comfortable and less uh, kind of warm and fuzzy and more uh, sharp, more acute, more difficult, uh, more like I don't want to hear them. And in today's gospel, the line that really jumps out for me in that regard is where Jesus says, I have come not to bring peace to the earth, but I have come to bring a sword. I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Now, I don't know about you, but for me that kind of jars me. And I think about all the places in scripture where 
Jesus talks about peace. And we, at Christmas time, we talk about the Prince of Peace, and Jesus talks about bringing peace to uh, people in their distress, and bringing uh, just, he's a, he's a peacemaker. We tend to think of him as being a peaceful guy. But we have this, this line today, and it also appears in Luke as well. So it's pretty well attested to in the tradition. How can we kind of uh, make it a little more, a little more manageable, a little more, a little more digestible? Well, we might say, well, if you look at this passage, uh, he's really addressing it just to the twelve apostles, right? He's addressing it to the inner circle, the really, uh, the really truly called, uh, the ones that were right there, right next to him, two thousand years ago. And well, that's not us, is it? No, that's somebody else. Or we might think, well, you know, he's uh, really uh, centered right now, uh, then, in the militaristic and aggressive uh, Roman culture. You know, there are soldiers everywhere, and the, the might of Rome is heavy on the people in Israel-Palestine. And, of course, he's going to use these metaphors uh, to talk about, uh, about aggression. Well, okay, I don't think first century Rome is that far off. Or we might talk about uh, the passages, the, the, the pieces that come after his line about peace and the sword, about the, uh, what may happen to families if you follow him. Well, certainly uh, it seems that in the first century, uh, Matthew's listeners, the gospel uh, listeners, probably experienced that very kind of ripping apart as they tried to follow Jesus and his teachings. They had to choose between Jesus and their families. But that's not us. I mean, we live in the 21st century in the western suburbs. Um, as long as you kind of keep things to yourself and are uh, polite and discreet, nobody's going to begrudge you what you believe. Or we might say, this is just an example of Jewish hyperbole. You know, you exaggerate something really a lot in the hope that you'll get, get the gist of it. You know, the way Jesus says elsewhere, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He doesn't really mean that. He just wants you to stop sinning. Well, I find these explanations kind of not very satisfying, and perhaps neither do you. So I want to spend some time kind of parsing uh, the words sword and the words peace in our, in our reading. Now, it seems pretty clear that Jesus is not talking about a literal sword. Nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus advocate physical aggression and violence. Nowhere. And the, the one spot uh, I'm thinking at the, the end of uh, one of the Gospels one of his followers cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant when, the, when the, the rabble comes to take him away from the garden. And he says, he says, don't do that. I've, I've rejected that path. If I'd wanted to do that, to use that path, I would have done it already. And I'm not doing that. So I think we can say safely that there's nowhere that Jesus advocates aggression, physical violence. So I think here we, we have to go metaphorically and talk about what William Sloan Coffin calls the sword 
of truth. Or elsewhere in the Bible, we hear about the sword of the Spirit. It is a way of being in the world that cuts to the chase, that cuts to the quick, that gets to the truth as quickly as possible. doesn't suffer lies or untruths very well. And if we look at the word peace, um, we have to look at it, I think, or this is one way to look at it. Uh, Jesus was in no sense uh, kind of a peacemaker or a keeper of the peace. We all know those people in our families and workplaces like who will do anything to keep the peace, to keep people from arguing, to keep unpleasantness from uh, coming to the surface. For sure, Jesus was not that way. Jesus cared more about truth and about love than he did about peace for peace's sake. In fact, he promises hardship. He also promises peace within that hardship. Peace which passes all understanding in the words of one of our blessings. When I think of Jesus and peace, I also think of the definition, I think it was Martin Luther King Jr.'s definition of peace, which was peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of justice. The presence of justice. And I imagine many of us have found ourselves in situations large and small in our uh, families or in our workplaces or maybe in the larger arena of public affairs where we have worked for some kind of justice and it's been a pain. It's not been convenient. I think of back uh, in my school days, I won't share details, but um, time when uh, someone in my life uh, told the truth about something that I had done and uh, I was in a little group that was, uh, had some social power, shall we say, and uh, this poor guy was really ostracized for the right thing that he had done. He had stood up for justice, and I believe he had found peace. I later found out uh, much later that he had found some peace, uh, despite the, um, the unjust behavior of some of his schoolmates. Some of you who are younger and still in school may know of situations, uh, even right now, where people have paid uh, for telling the truth with some hardship. Or I think about whistleblowers in the corporate world or in whatever your workplace is, where you've had to stand up and say, you know, this isn't right. This isn't right. And there have been consequences uh, that have ensued, which bring more justice into the world, but at some personal cost. Or we have the family truth-teller um, who hopefully tells the truth in love um, but still ends up stirring the pot in ways that perhaps we wish didn't happen. But nonetheless, in a way that brings justice further to the fore. Or another good example might be those in the civil rights movement who knew deep in their hearts that it was time to make a change and were willing to stand up at great personal cost, black and white, knowing deep inside that they had Christ's peace, knowing they were making the right decision, but knowing that almost literally all hell was going to break loose, at least for a time, until justice 
came more fully into the world. I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. What I take from this passage is that if you tell the truth, if you tell the truth with love, with Jesus' help, you will have peace. You will have peace that passes all understanding. And bit by bit, measure by measure, step by step, that broader peace that means the presence of justice will come into the world. In God's time, it will come to pass. Amen.